The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 131 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own, my president and past employers. I would never disclose any sensitive intelligence that have been proven to a result of my current employment, and I would never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I remind our listeners that you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at our very cool website, www.cshome.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. So just a reminder, folks, uh, we're on at least a dozen different playback mediums now, and you can listen to any TF7 radio episode you like right on our very own website at www.tf7radio.com. You can do this at your convenience, 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. So folks around the country here in the United States and many other countries around the world are going through some very trying times right now and managing this COVID-19 pandemic. And as local, state, and federal governments continue to tighten their restrictions on citizens' movements, in doing so by ordering stay-at-home and shelter-in-place orders, I think many people are growing anxious. And they're growing anxious, and I see protests are starting to pop up around the country. And this is very troublesome. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people wonder whether the solution is actually causing more damage than the virus itself. And I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that some people are asking that question, and it's a valid question. Uh, In addition to some of the physical restrictions citizens are facing, they're also facing a host of data privacy concerns around their their medical information, their their physical location, and even their COVID-19 disposition status, right? I mean, their disposition, uh, whether they had the the virus or not, whether they now have the antibodies to the virus, uh, you know, things like that. And how this information is being used in an effort to contain and combat the coronavirus. So I think this is causing many people to ask, you know, once this information's out there, I mean, they don't control it. Uh, they don't really know how it's going to be used because there's no sort of QA check for them. They're told that this is what it's going to be for, but, you know, obviously it could be used for other things. And anyone with an imagination can figure out that, hey, it could be used for a variety of village gentlemen or just things that you don't want it to be used for. 
right? So let's face it, folks. I mean, your location data that tracks your every movement is really private information. It's sensitive information. And your medical information is even more delicate and problematic, I would imagine. So tonight, our special guest, Adriana Sanford, is going to talk about these issues and much, much more. And she's going to unpack what's going, what's going down with a lot, of these, uh, a lot of these data privacy and cybersecurity issues around the globe related to the pandemic. Adriana's a friend. She's a frequent guest here on Task Force 7 Radio. And I can't think of anyone better to explain to us what's going on here from a legal perspective, not only here in the United States, but also in the EU and Asia and other parts of the world as well. Uh, Dr. Adriana Sanford is a senior fellow with the Center of Intelligence and National Security at the University of Oklahoma. She's an award-winning Chilean-American cybersecurity and global privacy expert, a law expert, and an international corporate lawyer, keynote speaker, educator, author, and international television commentator who appears regularly on CNN Espanol as an analyst to more than 90 million viewers throughout the United States and, and Latin America. She's very impressive, right? So Adriana is the former in-house counsel of a Fortune 50 company and also teaches cybersecurity law to graduate students at the Michael F. Price College of Business. Dr. Sanford has provided the keynote addresses at some of the world's top conferences, including to hundreds of general counsel professionals and senior legal leaders from Fortune 100 companies. She recently received, and I was really excited to see this, the 2019 Cybersecurity Woman Law and Privacy Professional of the Year Award that celebrates female cybersecurity leaders out there changing the world. And she is scheduled to be this year's keynote to hundreds of CCOs and senior compliance professionals at Private Equity International's 2020 Private Fund Compliance Forum on December 9th, 2020, right here in the epicenter of the universe in New York City. So she really cares about what she, what she does. She's very, very passionate about what she does. I, I, she helps countless numbers of people. And one thing I would like to mention about Adriana as well, she was just on the forefront of getting more classes online at Arizona State University's business school where she taught cybersecurity legal courses and, and other courses. And she developed new ways to incorporate technology to increase access for her students and demonstrated an entrepreneurial spirit in my mind and that she actively sought out these solutions to make her community smaller and the world community better, right? And, you know, she's reaching out to a lot of people in, in a lot of different ways. And most recently, last year, she was the keynote speaker at Pepperdine University where she discussed her Silicon Beach approach to faculty teaching. And this was to mitigate learning disruptions in the wake of natural disasters or other unforeseen occurrences. So she has some vision, right? She has some vision on what she's trying to do. She's the driving force uh, that pushed combining online learning with face-to-face -face instruction. And this is an approach, obviously, that helps to better prepare tomorrow's leaders while minimizing the risk of learning disruption in the event of some type of natural disaster or interruption is what we are obviously experiencing right now. So it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show, cybersecurity legal expert and senior fellow with the Center of Intelligence and National Security at the University of Oklahoma, Mrs. Adriana Sanford. Adriana, as always, welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio. Thanks, George. It's uh, love being here. Hey, it's great to have you back. We got a lot of important things to talk about today. Uh, and a lot of the topics that we're going to talk about are on people's minds. And people are talking about these issues on, on, on social media. And uh, things are starting to get a little bit crazy. A lot of people are questioning uh, what's going on and some of the decisions in the world. And I, I want to start out 
by talking about people's location data on their smartphones um, and how that's being used right now in this, in this COVID crisis. I know that in Europe, uh, people are tracking residents' phones for coronavirus research. And that sounds, uh, it sounds you know, reasonable. It sounds like it would be helpful. Anyway, this information probably is probably helpful to track uh, the spread of the virus. And telecom operators in France and Italy Spain, even Germany, Germany is known, you know, for their um, privacy uh, laws. And even the Nordic region, they've been asked to privately share location data to help EU scientists study the virus's spread. So can you tell us your thoughts on this and what's going on over there? Sure. I mean, this is a huge, huge deal for everybody. We're trying to figure out where people are located and how people come in contact with the virus. And apparently, location data is gold right now. And this is creating issues. Um, you know, people are concerned as to whether or not uh, they can share this information. And, you know, the GDPR is out there, the CCPA is out there, the California Consumer Privacy Act uh, came into force this year. Uh, it's not actually being enforced yet, that's gonna come midsummer, but the GDPR is there and location data is something that before the coronavirus was an issue that was closely examined as to whether or not location data is considered personal information. Is it personally identifiable? And some people say, well, you know, location data is not. You just kind of know the you know, uh, there's no name attached, um, but the concern is if you regularly are uh, monitoring uh, an individual and you know the time they go to work, the time they come home, and this is on a frequent basis, you can kind of tell who that person is. So according to GDPR, they said, yes, this is going to be considered personal data. That being said, right now, there are some decrees out there. Uh, Italy is one of them that has a decree that says there's certain privacy rights under GDPR that we are going to allow uh, because we need to stop the spread of the virus. So we're not looking at the GDPR the way we did before the virus. We have some exceptions. And the issue of location data, it's not only the research is going to try to figure out exactly where people are in you know groups but also there's something out there that's very hot right now which is contact tracers and uh, this is very interesting because what it does is it has the ability to say hey George uh, you went for a walk today and we noticed that your iPhone was very close to another iPhone for several seconds and if that iPhone is close to another iPhone for several seconds, we are going to record that you were in contact with that person. Mm. And the way it works is any place that you go where you are a few seconds uh, in close range to another iPhone, it will record. So later on, if there's somebody that you are next to that tested positive, there's a way for them to reach out to everyone else, including you, to say, hey, this person tested positive. You may want to isolate yourself. You may want to get checked. You may want to notify others. And this actually is a very interesting uh, new technology that's coming out. Google and Apple um, have been talking about this, and Google's been talking to the government. It's a Bluetooth-based uh, contact tracing system. 
So in, it's very interesting, and uh, they're saying basically that they can keep track of uh, they can keep track of the spread of the infection without compromising uh, location privacy. So so this is a uh, this is out there. You know, location data is being used as you mentioned by several countries. Taiwan, Israel is also you know using it, but but this new way of contact tracing uh, is very very interesting. So it seems to me like that would be the optimal situation where you were giving someone your data or they were actually using it, I don't know, maybe even without your permission, the, the location data, maybe the telecom operators were cooperating with the EU scientists in this, in this respect, and they give you a call and say, hey, we know that you were next to this person who has or has been infected with COVID and so that you should go get checked out. But it just, <laughs> my mind starts really just, you know, rolling uh -huh. here with, with how many different <laughs> things could happen with all this data and how it could be abused and, you know, people's privacy and how it's just, I mean, it's, it's endless. Right, uh, right. Really. Well, and, and those are serious concerns. I mean, you know, what, where else would this information end up? And is it going to be accurate? I mean, if you are in a grocery store and you're waiting in line and you don't have those six feet apart, are they going to assume that, yes, maybe you did uh, get in contact and uh, close enough contact to have the virus, but is it also going to be documented that you were talking to that person and that data later on, you know, goodness, we, where will it go? What if that person later on ends up being, you know, found uh, guilty of some crime? Are you going to be linked to that person because you stood in line and they assumed that maybe you were talking to that person and they were actually a friend? So, you know, there, there are some concerns uh, that are posed as, you know, as this continues to develop. But they're trying to find a way to be able to uh, notify people quickly if, uh, if they have been in contact uh, with someone that tested positive, which, of course, we, we all would like to know that. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I mean, that would be obviously useful information and valuable information in many different respects. Um, I just saw something uh, the other you're, day. You're, <laughs> you're, the light's going off going, wait a second, there may be some, some other concerns. Well, and especially, you know, if you look at the way data is being collected, I mean, it's collected through your IP address, your mobile device, uh, when you use the free uh, public Wi-Fi and in stores and you know or, or if you give your zip code you know your postal code but the fact is up until now there were some issues with this and Google had some violations GDPR violations because they were not allowing a clear opt-out procedure for users and you know now we're looking at where is the line and and and, and where how do we know exactly how the data is being collected and uh, from where? Facebook also collects data. And they collect it from uh, when you connect to the internet, they collect it from your phone um, or from your Instagram, your Facebook account. You know, they, it's the, everything that you do when you're posting photos. So they, there are a lot of issues here, you know. And um, the, the, the real question is how, you know, do we have permission to track? And, uh, you know, is this, this is something that can't be hidden in the small print of a privacy policy, nor can it be a simple opt-up, you know, opt-in pop-up. It needs to really be explained uh, to the public. Yeah, I mean, I saw an interview the other day with the, the governor of New Jersey, and, and this isn't a, a, a political uh, statement in any way, either right or left or whatever. But he did say that, you know, when he made some of the decisions, 
about restricting movements of certain citizens. Like he didn't have the bill of rights in mind. And, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I mean, I, I, maybe there is something out there that gives governors these wide powers uh, to take away freedoms in certain situations, but uh, the, he didn't know what they were, and he wasn't able to articulate them at the time. Um, maybe that'll change. I mean, you know, I think all the governors are doing the best that they can uh, with the situation. It just seems like we don't know, we don't have any like, information is key. And I'm, and I'm sure that tracking location data is part of the effort to try to find out more information about what is really going on. There's been reports recently over the last few days that some of the, some of the statistics about how many people are infected in some areas can be 85 times more than right. what they originally uh, expect, or, uh, anticipated or, or thought. Well, so. that's, that's like Wuhan in, uh, in China. It just came out in the New York Times that uh, they – they believe that there are 50% more deaths than they than they thought. I mean, I suspect it's probably a lot more than that. Look, anything coming out of China, in my opinion, is completely fugazi. I don't listen. I don't listen to anything that they have. There's just people. Anybody who trusts what the Chinese Communist Party says uh, needs to check themselves. Okay, because they're not giving us real information. They're really not. Um, let's get back to the United States here for a second. I think. You know, uh, recently, uh, Uber, of all people, um, has recently sued Los Angeles over data collection and, and sharing information in real time, which is right along the, some of the lines that we're talking about here. And look, Uber is a, a Silicon Valley giant. They're huge, and they've totally changed the way uh, people uh, use transportation, especially in major cities. They own a, a scooter and bike company called Jump. And that battle escalated on Tuesday with the city uh, by suing them in, in federal court because they don't want to have to share this information with them, uh, I believe. So they filed this 44-page complaint that says that these, uh, or I should say Los Angeles's data sharing uh, requirements violate the protections against unreasonable search and seizure in the Fourth Amendment and the California Constitution. And the argument here is that live data from its dockless scooters that uh, Uber owns could be misused and the practice invades its customer privacy. Now, conversely, it's, it's interesting to note, Uber's rival company, Lyft, continues to share real-time scooter data with Los Angeles, even though a spokesman just recently said that they, quote-unquote, have continued concerns about the privacy risk of collecting this information. So what are your thoughts about what's going on here in Los Angeles with Uber and Lyft? Well, it's interesting. It's not only going to be here. I think, you know, we, we're starting to see it here in, in, in California more than anywhere else. And probably I would tend to say that that's because the California Consumer Privacy Act. Uh, we have here in California, the residents have a stronger right to privacy than in the rest of the United States. And that right to privacy is, uh, is pretty significant. It's actually larger than uh, what we have with the GDPR. It, it's the right to know when your information, uh, you know, is, uh, is being shared or collected and it's it's not only 
your your what we would consider under GDPR to be your information, like your email and your name and your address and phone number, but it's your attitude, it's your history, it's your browsing, and of course, it's your running around and and and, and you know being on a scooter or or you know uh, your activity. So so it is a concern here in California, and I think companies are very very worried that they're going to be hit. If you if you think about it, the CCPA gives individuals the right to sue. So we could see a lot of class actions popping up. And this can be of great concern to companies like Uber and Lyft. And so I can understand why they are, you know, they are at this point being proactive and bringing lawsuits and whatnot because they're very concerned probably as to what will happen when that information is shared. Because as you know, under the CCPA, uh, the individual has a right to ask not only what information is being collected on them, but who they're sharing it with. And they have to, the rest of the U.S., uh, it's kind of vague as to how much information the company gives the user, but for CCPA purposes, they must give the details of where that information went and with what third parties. So, so this is probably why we're seeing this right now on the forefront here in California. So I saw some videos on TV. I saw on YouTube some videos about Chinese police officers wearing these devices on their helmets to check the temperatures of citizens that are literally just walking down the street. And some companies here in the United States have started requiring temperature checks of their employees at building entrances to prevent the spread of the coronavirus through their organizations. So during a pandemic, who has the right to know the temperature of another American citizen? Who could do That's that? A, that is a really good question. And, you know, this right now, this new normal is not normal. And I think, you know, everybody is questioning exactly, you know, what the process is and where we're going. With regards to temperature checks, right now, companies, employers are doing their best. Actually, everybody, I think, is a shelter in place right now, and hopefully they are home. But to the extent you discover or you discovered when you did take the temperature of somebody that they, uh, they might have been infected, who, who has the right to know that information and under what grounds? Well, that depends. The answer is that depends. It depends on a lot of factors. Number one, who is asking for that information? Is it a federal or a state agency? And to the extent that you provide that information, you should, now again, this is not legal advice. I don't provide legal advice, but guidance is, is that request formal or informal? If it is a legal document, if they are, it is a formal request, uh, that is much better. But you can't stop there. You need to take a look at your privacy policy. And companies have several policies. So you need to check them and see, first of all, does it allow you to collect this type of information? Number two, if it does allow you, now temperature checks is a little bit odd uh, for it to already allow you to do this. But well, I mean, is a temperature check considered a search and seizure? I mean, I mean, certainly it is medical information, right? Yeah, I, I can't really answer to that. But what I can say is you, before you start doing anything with that information and you start collecting it, you better make sure that your compliance officer has supplemented the uh, privacy policy if it's not in there, because chances are it's not, or they've amended it in some way before you start doing that. That's number one. And then number two, you need to figure out 
how much information you're going to give that third party because it better be very minimal. I mean, you, you, you can't just, uh, you have to be careful because the laws have not changed and the laws are not lax with regards to sharing. Um, and lastly, you also have to note whether you are in California because California residents are entitled to more information. So you are going to have to share with that resident where you disclosed it to what third party and all the details. So these are things that you need to consider. Yeah. So look, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not, you know, one of these people who are going to sit here and say, um, we shouldn't be doing anything and everybody should be allowed to do whatever they want and go, I'm, you know, that's craziness. Um, but I, I don't think, <laughs> and I think this is a fair statement. I don't think that a lot of the people making the decisions about the mitigation efforts around this uh, this pandemic, including the restriction of of movement for American citizens, and also the uh, monitoring their data and monitoring their locations, and also taking their temperatures. I don't think people actually thought this through or consulted with attorneys when they did it. Uh, I, you know, I, I just don't think, from what I see, at least I'm not I'm not seeing anybody come up with a valid answer. So I have a lot of questions. Um, about this. I mean, it, it, oh, so if they're taking your temperature for COVID, well, why not HIV or something else? And, and you know, or, 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 or cancer or heart disease, and they're going to say, well, because it's not, you know, you're not endangering someone else, right? So I get that, you know, it's the contagious part of this pan pandemic that has, you know, people making adjustments and thinking about what we can do to m make people safer. Well, and there but, can also be liability there if you're taking the temperature, if you don't do it correctly. And is it really conclusive? The person could have strep, the person could have the flu, it could have something else. Something um, else. That's exactly what I was going to say. It doesn't mean they have COVID and now what you might be taking away. Maybe they get paid by the hour. Maybe they don't get paid anymore now because they can't go to work. And now you're, you're taking snow. So some, someone has the flu or, or maybe some, something else that caused the temperature. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how many different things can cause a, a temperature in, 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 someone's, in someone's body. But... I mean, you can't get other types of medical information without search warrants. I mean, you can't get, you know, you need legal It's more than just that. It's also, they, they, you know, there are these self-declaration forms that some companies are asking that employees fill out saying, have you traveled to an area that there, where there is actually high uh, risk, you know, of infection or, or, or a, a significant spread. And this kind of information, where is this going, you know, you're collecting this information. Again, there is concern. And before you start doing something like that, you better make sure that you've got this already outlined in your, in your policy and you are updating that policy or supplementing it in a way uh, to deal with the COVID. Uh, but a policy, then even though a policy wouldn't over, override, you know, you know, law, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it could only be more restrictive than the law. Like I was, I, I was, uh, before the, the, the pandemic really went into sort of, you know, panic mode, uh, here in the United States, I, I was in a hospital and they ask you all these questions. I could see them asking it in a hospital because you're there for medical treatment it might be, might be there, you know, uh, for whatever I was there for, a. uh, an orthopedic uh, uh, treatment for my knee and uh, just to get an x-ray. But I just, but, I, but they ask you all kinds of questions in there about COVID, which had nothing to do with the reason I was there, but I could understand that people are sick in a hospital and they want to know uh, what, what you're there for, you know, in, in, in some of these things. So, but in a regular building, like if you just walk onto an office building on Park Avenue and they're asking if you've ever been you know, your employer's asking you uh, where, where you've been lately and things like that. I don't know. I, well, I, there is some caution um, 
uh, that's being uh, right now, especially in, in, in Europe where they're cautioning, there is some, some warning saying don't do self-help um, here and be careful with what you're asking for, what you're doing. You know, the decree is out there right now, like in Italy, and I think there's one in France as well, and in Ireland, uh, that is dealing with basically privacy and COVID-19, and what steps you can take. Uh, one of the comments made is don't go beyond this. And that's something that you really have to, you know, before an employer decides to do something like this, they should be checking with their lawyer and make sure that they are actually not violating the, the whatever it is that's out there right now. You know, we've got orders and we've got to make sure that people don't just go off on their own. And the same thing is, is said, you know, we have a shelter in place. And I heard that there were some employers that were telling their employees to go in because those shelters in place, even though they, they may indicate that there may be criminal liability or a fine of $1,000 since it wasn't being enforced, these employers were telling their employees to go in. Uh, again, I would caution against that because not only is it you know really not a good idea, short term, long term, your reputation is out there. And if people believe that you were in any way not cooperative at the time when this pandemic was going on, you're going to lose your business. Not to mention intentional infliction of emotional distress. You're making an employee go into work and sit in a cubicle next to somebody else. And the whole time they're going to be very concerned. This can, you know, create a class action in certain, uh, in certain oh, states. I think, so, I, I think it's going to be, a, I, look, I, I've heard a lot of things going on. I forget I forget where it was, but apparently there are jurisdictions that aren't allowing people to go to their second homes in a, a lot of recreation. In areas. Chile, actually, in Chile, that 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 just came out, and uh, Chile is Chile. Uh, Chile is extremely um, restrictive, and actually, to travel, you need permission to travel anywhere. And uh, right they came the down. Like right here in the United States, it's happening, and people are suing to get access to their own homes. So these lawsuits are, been, are already being filed, and this kind of thing is crazy. I mean, Rhode Island is stopping people at the border that have New York and New Jersey license plates. I, I heard there was a, an incident out in, I think it was Malibu, where someone was paddling in the ocean by themselves, in the ocean, by themselves, where, and, and a, you know, a police boat comes up and arrested them in, in, in the ocean. I mean, at some point... <laughs> Reasonableness. Aspect. Well, the, the beaches are closed, and I think, you know, that's anybody out by the, the beach is going to get into trouble for that. Well, I don't and know that the, the beach was closed, closed as much as the social distancing. Yeah. Uh, well, here, here in California and Los Angeles, our beaches are closed. We're not allowed to be out there at all. So that's probably why. But, you, you know, there are concerns as to right now the where the population is going and where they're getting exercise and you know, what, what can you do? Because there are, there are such limits as to, yeah. as to where to go and, and, and actually walk. I want to stick to the, to the, um, I'm starting to get us off on a little bit of a tangent and I want to stick <laughs> to the data, um, um, you know, data privacy piece of this, but I just do want to level set that, you know, this person, I don't think he, I think he was out there before the beach was closed. I don't know what, the, where the science is of someone paddling in the ocean by themselves and getting arrested by a, you know, a, a police boat SWAT team. Uh, really, you know, makes any sense to me right now. I know there was another individual that was a former police officer in the park alone with his daughter uh, in this empty park playing softball with his little daughter and the police came up and put him in handcuffs. 
Uh, just wow. ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous things. I mean, I don't, you know, and, and when you watch videos on, you know, watch TV, you watch the news and you see in Sweden, everybody's walking around. Uh, there are very few restrictions, uh, maybe on the elderly and some of the people that might be vulnerable, but they don't have um, the restrictions that we do here. And it seems to be that they have similar infection and death rates. So, you know, uh, the question comes in all the time about the economy. Are we destroying our economy and things like that? But we're, I really want to stick to this, um, uh, the data privacy piece of this, because it's part of it. It's part of, it's part of, you know, having context around everything that's going on is really part of this. Now, we talked a little bit about taking temperatures. And we also talked about, you know, questions about when you come into a, a building and you say, hey, look, uh, what, have you been in the places that, that have had a problem with the pandemic? But also, if you have a temperature or if you have been in some place that's a very high, uh, highly infected area that has a high infection rate, they're asking people to prove, to provide proof that they've tested negative for the coronavirus right. before they could actually return. Can they do that? Can they do that? Well, and think about how hard that is. I, you know, do you, how many people yeah. want that test and can't have it? There are not enough right. tests out there. Right. So to require you to have the test prior to returning to work is really, it's, it's, you know, it's almost like asking people right now, you have to wear masks as well, but there are no masks to be bought. So people are wearing bandanas. And, and this is the concern is a lot of the requirements and to require somebody to take a test that test needs to be readily available, and it's not. So that's, an, that's, a, that's a very good point. But you know, the, the tests aren't available. I think that's pretty clear. Everybody understands that, even though they're testing every day, tens of thousands of people, and, and it's becoming more and more clear, the picture of, of how many people have really been infected with uh, this virus. But can they, they, can they really require you to prove that you do not have a medical disease to work? in a certain company? Is that, is that illegal? Well, I, I, you know, this is a new normal, so I, I can't really answer whether it is or it isn't because this is not something we've had before, but you do need certain vaccines and uh, you do need to go through certain testing before you go to school. And universities require that from students to make sure that they don't spread any, uh, any infectious uh, diseases. So we do have some, you know, something that we can look at, but this is a new normal. So we really don't know right now. Um, and I think that will, you know, here in, in all these issues, we will start to see more and more um, people opine. And if you Google coronavirus lawsuits, yeah, numbers of lawsuits are popping up for different things. I mean, we've got just about everybody is suing on different issues and, and concerns because this new normal is not normal. And, uh, you know, people are, are, are concerned. Yeah, it's not enough when people, it, all it takes for someone to get their rights violated and hopefully in this country, they'll stick up for themselves. But especially if there's, so, if there's additional negative consequences associated with that violation, people are going to get really upset. How about in Europe, where we're just talking about the United States, how about in Europe in places like Italy, do temperature checks violate European privacy laws? Well, I don't know if that per se does, but remember, Europe, Italy has a special decree. So certain privacy rights are not there right now. And I'm not sure if that one will fall under that. A big concern in Europe among the member countries is the borders right now, not being able to go from one country to another. This is huge right now and it's affecting their economy. And the concern that they have over there is if one country opens up its borders because it's better, uh, this may affect another country because economically 
uh, everyone will go to that country. And all of a sudden, you're going to have some that are really suffering and some that are doing very, very well. So they're asking for solidarity and unity and everybody to open at the same time. And uh, they have an escape clause where they can right now give businesses that are suffering money to help them through this period so that it doesn't actually create other issues for them. This is one of their big concerns over there. And if the coronavirus lasts for a long time and people are out of work and they are at home, we don't want any mental atrophy. We need to make sure that people are engaged and working and feeling like we are going to be returning uh you know, without skipping a beat. And obviously that will be very, very hard considering the amount of losses we've had. But on the business side, they are concerned about these businesses just collapsing. All right, folks, we've got to transition to a commercial break, but stick with us. we got a lot more here to come on this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. If you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, cybersecurity legal expert and senior fellow with the Center of Intelligence and National Security at the University of Oklahoma, Mrs. Adriana Sanford. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure innovationorg or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. 
Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, cybersecurity legal expert and senior fellow with the Center of Intelligence and National Security at the University of Oklahoma, Mrs. Adriana Sanford. So, Adriana, before the break, we were talking about some of these lawsuits that were going around. Uh, can you talk a, bit, a little bit about some of the coronavirus lawsuits that uh, you mentioned? I know you mentioned some, some in uh, overseas, but there's certainly some going on here too. Uh, what right. say you about them? Yeah, they, you know, this is becoming a really hot topic and you've got some of the largest, some of the nation's biggest law firms are actually bringing together attorneys that are specializing in different areas to bring together a new practice group that deals with coronavirus. I mean, that's how huge this is. And, you know, we've got a list of real and potential victims out there as a result of this pandemic. And, uh, you know, everything ranging from cruise lines, not letting passengers off, you know, and uh, being trapped at sea with uh, the virus spreading within the, the, the actual cruise uh, to, to the, the, the insurance companies and, uh, you know, not paying out and uh, employers that are forcing employees to work. You know, McDonald's had an issue where the employees started protesting and did not want to go back. So you've just got everybody popping up with uh, different types of issues and gun owners out there, you know, saying that they are essential businesses. And, uh, you know, in, in, in Florida, we've got the, the wrestling right now that's been deemed essential, essential business. <laughs> I'll get into the essential thing in a minute. I got to tell you, mm -hmm. it's pretty crazy. I mean, you know, on Friday, uh, San Francisco is now requiring masks to, to be worn in public in New York City, I think, uh, a few days before that. And also on Friday, Jacksonville opens their beaches. So 
it's it's a it's a conf, you know a very conflicting message that's being sent out to everyone on what to do. I seen somebody post something on on Facebook the other day, which you know some states are doing one thing, some states are doing another. You can't leave your house, but only if you need to. And then what qualifies as you right. need to? I mean, people are confused, <laughs> and it's causing aggravation. It's causing anxiety. But there's a few follow up questions I have to uh, some of the stuff I spoke to you about in the first segment, including. Okay, say you, you, you go to work and they ask you a bunch of questions or your, your temperature's up and then they require you to, you know, prove that, you've, uh, that, you prove, uh, that you're negative for the coronavirus to actually go back to work. But what if a business learns that an employee or even a customer, I guess, tested positive for COVID-19? How much do they need to share with other people about that individual person? And what information should they really disclose well, what, what we're talking about here is a balance uh, that we need to do, a balancing between, you know, protecting our public health and protecting privacy. And what are the concerns that we have with privacy? Well, why is there a concern uh, with information being shared? Well, that person could face discrimination, isolation, retribution if, you know, other individuals know that they're uh, their their information, their identity is revealed. So to the extent we know that somebody has tested positive, there is, uh, employers do need to share so that we don't have further spreading, but they need to take care and provide only minimal information, whatever is necessary in order to protect, but not overshare. And I think that's very, very important. It's also important to know who is asking, what third party is asking for that information, because you don't randomly give out information and uh, you need to tailor it depending on, you know, if other people in your in your company were perhaps uh, infected or, you know, because this person had a cubicle and you were next to that person or, you know, you, you had a board meeting and, and uh, one of the individuals on the board was infected. These are concerns and there's no one right answer. If a third party comes in, you really want to check and make sure that it is a formal actual request uh, so that you have a legal obligation. And uh, it's a lot easier to share this information if it is the federal government asking or a state agency, but, you know, be careful. Taylor, what you're no, saying. I think at the very minimum, a person has a moral obligation to call the places that they've been once they've been te tested positive to say, hey, look, you know, I've tested positive and, you know, I, you know, I work out at the gym on, you know, Mondays through Fridays at, you know, 7 to 9 a.m. or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I won't be coming in. I'll be quarantining myself, but I wanted to let you know. And, 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 now, what that what that gym does with that information, where they store it on their computer systems, you know how it's protected right. is a whole new. I mean, you know, a whole new uh, thing. And I right. mean, it's right. just so it's, much. Yeah, it's and this is an issue which is you know it's not only for your gym. It's for it's affecting us. Uh, in our gym, it's affecting us in the grocery store. It's affecting us everywhere we go. I mean, right. you go to the grocery store right now, and you're lucky if you if you can actually buy meat. You know, you're. I know at my grocery store, you have an option of buying meat, uh, you know, steak or chicken, and you can't have them both, and you can only have one, uh, one package. So clearly, our shelves are empty. And uh, you know, there was a big concern about toilet paper, and people were making jokes about it. Well, the concern is actually the supply chain. And 
there are real concerns because there's been a disruption. Managing the supply chain risk right now um, in light of this coronavirus, you know, where are our weakest links? Who's going to be next? We've become so global that we, you know, to make a pair of jeans, you basically have suppliers all over the world uh, for the buttons, for the thread, for the dye, for putting it together. And uh, anybody who has this virus can actually disrupt your whole chain. And then we don't have products. So what are some of the issues that must be considered from a privacy perspective in complying with a request from a government agency about employees? No, the telecoms could be considered an example in this situation um, because they're customers. So it could be employees, guests, or customers. Any, any person that the company has a relationship with may have information about. What, what are some of the issues uh, from a privacy perspective with the, if, if the government requests that information? Sure. Well, first of all, if the government is going to be requesting this information, the first thing you want to check, you know, the government, why are they coming to you? Is it information that you already collect? You know, if you are a hotel, if you're a travel agency, you may already have certain information that they're asking for. We talked about earlier about tracking. You know, if you offer loyalty programs, you, you know, you're already tracking timing and location of purchases. So is the government coming to you for information regarding tracking and location or are they coming to you for information regarding the testing and, you know, somebody testing positive? You know, it, all of these issues, whatever information you're collecting, why are you collecting it? Why are you using it? Do you have the ability to share it? Did you already put in your policies that you would be sharing this information? I don't think anybody put in there, you know, for pandemics, but maybe they did. Maybe you had a compliance officer that really knew what he was doing and actually already carved <laughs> this out. <laughs> you know, know, you never know. Lot, that we need to hire him, but um, to the extent it's not in your policy, you want mm. to revise, you want to amend, you want to update that policy before you start collecting whatever it is that they need. If you have already started collecting this information that's gold because it's location and you happen to be an airline or a car rental or you know travel insurance provider, well, you may already have that part taken care of, but the intended purpose, I, you know, unless you contemplated for public health purposes, this is something different. And the purpose of your sharing is important. You want to review uh, your escalation procedures and internally figure out who it is that you need to talk to and revise disclosure standards for those that are uh, assigned to make these types of decisions. This is all really, really important. So check that out. Go slowly through the process. Talk to your Compliance personnel, legal department, if you've got one, and make sure there's a valid legal process or a lawful obligation before you start giving that information. I say, I mean, I don't even know if at this point the government's using subpoenas or search warrants for this type of information. Uh, they're just asking for it. I don't, I don't even know where that it's occurring uh, in certain places. I'm sure, I'm sure it is. I, like, I don't yeah, have specific but, examples here in the United States. Overseas, we do. Right. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's going to get to that level. I think basically if you get a request from federal, you know, state or local government to agency, you, you may provide that information to them. I mean, I think the issue is you only provide minimal amount of personal information. Well, it's, 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 it, there's going to be some specificity in the requirement, whatever is in the, in the subpoena or the search warrant. As long as it's in a legal document, I would imagine that you could do it. But I guess my next question would be if you have to do it, 
um, if you're ordered to by a court of law in the United States to provide that information to uh, the United States government or any government agency, do you then have to tell your employee that you provided the government their information? That's a really good question. <laughs> and my answer to you is that depends on location. It depends on who you're dealing with. Remember, first of all, if you're dealing with uh, individuals uh, or, or if, you're if you're giving this information to a government and it is a government in another country, heads up, you've got that geography to think about and you have conflicts of laws, multi-jurisdictional issues there, number one. Number two, if that person happens to be in the United States, you have to think about where are they located. Do they happen to be residents of California? If they are, guess what? They have a higher privacy uh, right than most other residents. And so for California residents, you not only tell them that this information has been requested, you have a duty of telling them who the third party was and how much information you shared. So that's why I'm saying it depends. Uh, also, it depends. You may provide more information to somebody from another state, say it from New York. You know, you, you are allowed to go further, but you, you need to consider the fact that the CCPA is out there. So if you've got a California resident, you've got to give that information. Other thoughts, reputation. You know, you do not want to come across as a company that was not helping. And to the extent of making a decision of what to share and who to share and what to go through, you have to be mindful that while complying with lawful requests, you are appropriate with your scope, you know, and you don't give too much, you minimize so that there's no unnecessary harm and only give the information that is required, but also be careful because if you start arguing and saying you don't want to give out any information, the reaction you may get, a public relations backlash, all of a sudden people will say, well, this company uh, hindered the ability to protect us. So you really, really have to judge and, 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 and be careful there. So I think GDPR comes into play here because, you know, businesses have to consider before using or sharing with any third party, let alone the government or anybody else really, in their efforts to respond to the, to the pandemic, any personal information that they collect such as, you know, travel, uh, you know, expenses, you know, geolocation data, medical history, anything, any information that they get. Should companies start thinking about that now and start collecting more or maybe even less information so they don't have to provide it? You know, maybe this is something that anger their customer base if they have to provide information to the government about them. Um, and maybe if they don't collect it, if they don't have it, they won't have to, they won't have to provide it type of thing. Well, that's interesting. That's a very interesting point. And you've got to be careful there because you don't want to really change it. You want, you know, trust me, at this point, you're, you're, you're going to be asked a lot of questions as to why you're doing that and why you're changing uh, the amount of information you're collecting. I think the bigger issue here is to the extent that the information may be relevant to fighting the spread of the virus or the pandemic, um, what you have to think about is, is this information also of interest to government entities for other purposes? And to the extent it is, you need to somehow amend your, your policy to provide for that and also notify people. And, uh, you know, for example, precise geolocation uh, data, travel data, information about contacts, that could be used for a lot of other purposes in addition to uh, relevant to fighting the spread of this virus. So let's talk a little bit more about consent. Does it make any difference that the privacy policy 
has not been carved out an intended uh, use or sharing of personal inf- information in response to COVID. In other words, I, you know, I see the privacy policy, I acknowledge the privacy policy, but the intent, the spirit of the policy isn't really to respond to a pandemic with medical information or information that could lead to medical information about someone. Does that matter in the consent piece? It does. It absolutely does matter because the customer, the guest, uh, you know, gave you that consent, but the consent was given for an intended use. So to the extent, obviously, this use is novel or new or different, you have to ensure that the policy also covers the disclosure of that information to the government agency for the requested purpose. So again, go back, you know, you may be collecting it from your cookies, your pixels, your apps, and, uh, you know, they may record things like where the individual has traveled, but that was for basically advertising and not for this type of disclosure. So you will have to go back and ensure that you are covered before you start disclosing. And again, this is not legal advice. You need to get that from your lawyer. This is just guidance. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I, I say before every show, anything that I say on this show is not legal advice. Obviously, you just said the same thing about you. We're not giving legal advice. We're just talking about issues here. And they're really, they're, I mean, I don't think there's any clear-cut guidance, uh, at least, well, let's say case law on some of this stuff. Um, I guess well, you're anything novel or unexpected, you want to make sure anytime you disclose you know, when you get a consent, the consent is basically within a certain scope. And when you go out of that scope, that's when people get upset. That's when governments, you know, again, I'm, I'm mentioning other governments from other countries, because anytime you go out of the scope of the consent, you may end up with a violation, especially a GDPR violation. Now, in the previous segment, we mentioned that there are decrees out there that are actually allowing, like in Italy, uh, certain privacy rights, uh, are not being enforced because of this pandemic, but you want to make sure anytime you go outside of the scope of a consent for something novel or unexpected when you're dealing with guests or consumers that you are actually disclosing that. All right. So we got to take a, a short break here, but I want to, I want to come back on the next segment. I want to talk about work from home. I want to talk some of these problems we're having with zoom uh, and talk about jail time and some of the criminal, criminal liability that's been going on with some of these people that are getting, you know, swept off the street. And, you know, these people are getting $500 fines for sitting in their car. It's craziness. Um, but we'll talk about that when we get back. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, cybersecurity legal expert and senior fellow with the Center of Intelligence and National Security at the University of Oklahoma. This is Adriana Sanford. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Context Information Security knows that your development and engineering teams move quickly. Security testing should empower them, not slow them down. What you need is a solution that integrates their objectives and supports the bottom line. Getting your product out while protecting your customers and your brand. While traditional penetration testing is a great way to assure your systems after they've been built, it doesn't work for everyone. 
That's why at Context, we offer continuous security testing to help you build it right the first time. In fast-moving environments, continuous security testing allows your team to focus on the things that matter. Secure, agile development, speed of innovation, and building security into your products and systems from the ground up. Context has been helping organizations tackle the most complex security challenges for more than 20 years. Visit us today at contextis.com to learn more about how we can help you. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Signet, S-I-N-E-T. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the cybersecurity legal expert and senior fellow with the Center of Intelligence and National Security at the University of Oklahoma, Mrs. Adriana Sanford. So, Adriana, I want to talk a little bit about work from home and and, and everyone's sort of uh, in a lot of states. I think there's only maybe four or five states that haven't had a shelter in place order given by their governors. 
Um, over the last few weeks, I think Americans have really been forced to move their, you know, personal and professional lives online. And I know it's, you know, it's, it's a battle for bandwidth in the home <laughs> these days. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it depends <laughs> on how many people are streaming videos and doing whatever. And, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, some law firms are out there telling people, uh, some of the, well, some of their attorneys not to use Alexa and some of these other smart uh, speakers and smart devices. What are some of the concerns that you think uh, people are having right now, like especially senior executives uh, working from home. Um, I'm, I'm talking about uh, cybersecurity concerns, you know, privacy concerns, things like that. Uh, well, they're, they're, they're their office is not at home, and that's a real problem because, you know, if we're talking about hard copies, hard documents, copies, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that we don't have on our computer. And yeah. depending on your industry, depending on your position, not having access can be a real, real situation. It can be detrimental. I mean, take, for example, banks. If you've got these customer due diligence reviews that you have to be doing and, you know, you, you're not able to access documents, you know, adapting customer due diligence to the realities of the pandemic uh, you cannot neglect this. This is a big problem the regulators are saying because what we're doing and the way to do it, um, we have to adapt. We have to adapt to the new normal. We can't do the face-to-face -face interviews. We can't do the on-site visits. And, uh, you know, those hard copies that we usually dip into our file for are gone. So it's, it, it is, it is a, a difficult environment to adapt to, and it is a rapidly changing environment because we need to comply with uh, regulatory expectations. So, you know, for the banking industry, it's a big deal. And, uh, you know, for anybody in any profession, you have to be very, very careful. We have what's called the Zoom bombing that happened. And, you know, Google told their employees that they cannot put Zoom on their computers because there have been a lot of vulnerabilities. These are things that we really were not expecting. If you've got a computer from the office and all of a sudden you want to jump in with all your classmates, you know, you're maybe you're, uh, you know, or, or somebody's having a birthday party and they send you a Zoom link <laughs> and you download Zoom because you miss your family or your friends yeah. or whatnot, guess what? That right there can cause a major issue. Well, and, I'm and, sure that wasn't too hard of a decision for Microsoft to make, considering they have their own product and they want their yeah. employees to <laughs> use their product. But yeah, Zoom's been a problem, right? Is, is, it a, is, it a, is it a problem with the security with Zoom or is it just a problem people didn't really have it configured properly to begin with? No, actually, there have been problems with Zoom. And a user actually sued over <laughs> this. Uh, an issue was that they had... All of a sudden, their information, their meeting was found on um, online because there have been leaks. There have been, in addition to the Zoom bombings where you see individuals popping up into your Zoom meeting that were not invited and maybe some <laughs> hate words or, or porn or something, exactly, which was an issue. Um, they've dealt with that by having passwords now when you're getting in on, you know, into your classes, into your online meetings, but mm. there have also been other reported issues, which include the stealing of information or the stealing of those recordings and all of a sudden they appear. Imagine if you're dealing with sensitive information and it all of a sudden appears on, you know, on yeah, the, uh, on the web. Of course. 
Yeah. The yeah. New York Attorney General sent a letter to Zoom asking about its security and privacy practices. I mean, it's a big deal. And, you know, I know that uh, Zoom sent username and email addresses to a company system that was then matching them with LinkedIn profiles. I'm not sure the details of that, but I heard about that as well. Yeah, that's another so, issue. That's a separate yeah, issue. Yeah, you kind of want to check out and, and make sure that, that this company went from having 10 million to all of a sudden having 200 million, you know, users jumping in. This has been the go-to for a lot of people that want to stay in touch with loved ones or want to reconnect and or want to socialize. You know, we have those COVID parties are not taking place anymore because of shelter in place. They're taking place on Zoom. You know, unfortunately, whoever comes up in the news or whatever company or product gets a high profile out some time, then the hackers are going to, the hackers are going to go after them, right? I mean, I think I just heard that oh, yeah. Singapore had the best, their government had the best security practices. And someone said on, on LinkedIn, they said, well, not for long. You know what I'm saying? Because when you yeah. say something like that, it's almost a challenge right. to, uh, you know, some of these folks. Well, out. and you know what's interesting about the Singapore system is that they actually require licensing for security. And the question is, you know, in the United States, just about anybody can say that they are a security expert or security professional and there they actually require that they have a license. So there's been questions and, and talk about should we require the same so that before the hot word was global, I'm global, then it was ethics, I'm ethical. Now it's I'm into security and just about everybody says that they are cyber experts or, you know, and nobody really knows. And if you are looking for a cyber expert and you hire somebody, they can make a mess of your business. So licensing might be an option for us here in this country, the, the argument on the other side is that there are a lot of people that are very, very good at this and actually may not want to get licensed. And all of a sudden, you don't have the innovation. You don't have what we usually have because we've got people that are interested in this field that have amazing minds. You know, if, if you ever go to Vegas in August, you, you know, you run into a lot of them in, in, in these conferences. The everything from right. the ISSA to the Black right. Hat to the, you know, tons and tons of cybersecurity professionals get together in August in, in Vegas. Yeah. Well, if you go there and turn on your personal device, I mean, it's just stupid. <laughs> no, you want to make sure you have a burner phone and do not take your computer if you are going to Vegas in yeah. August. Absolutely okay. not because you yeah. will be hacked. Yeah. I mean, so let's talk about jail time a little bit and uh, some of the criminal liability around th these orders that are coming out. I mean, it seemed to be changing by the day. Uh, whether you're, you know, say you're walking down the street in, in New York City and you're not wearing a mask, right? There's, there's a requirement to wear a mask. Now you have to wear a mask. What if you're not wearing a mask? And I kind of, I, I think it's sort of ironic that, you know, people may and, and uh, you know, I, I just know that some of these incidents where I, I mentioned before and in, in then I think it was the second uh, segment about uh, people getting arrested at parks or in the water or whatever, actually, you know, being put in handcuffs and things like that. And then facing uh, liability and criminal liability and massive fines in some respects. I think some, some towns were, uh, or cities, and I can't remember where it says, but it said it was a $7,000 fine for being outside. $7,000 is not a, a small chump change, uh, amount of change, right? So when you think about this, and then I think about all oh, the, the, the sheriff out in LA just released, you know, hundreds of prisoners and then warned about crime wave, but the people who are you know, swimming in the water at the beach, they're going to jail. I mean, it's just crazy. Can standing too close to someone really result in criminal liability in jail time? 
Well, it, it could. I mean, we aside from the civil penalties, you know, we we have roughly two thirds of the states have laws that criminalize the intentional spread of infectious diseases. And the question is, is it intentional? If you are not, if you are standing too close to someone, does that count? If you don't wear a mask, and you know, the mask is actually required. There's an order in place. Uh, this could. I know here in, I believe it's in San Bernardino, you can you have jail time and you can actually have a thousand dollar fine or both. Now, are they enforcing it? I don't think that they are at this point, but can they stop you for not wearing a mask under certain circumstances? Um, yes. And, and if you, you're not allowed to go into a business, you know, if you, if you want to go to the grocery store, you must have a mask or they will not let you in. It's required. So the, the other question is where do we get those masks? Because if they are required, okay, you can use a bandana, but a bandana is not really going to do the same. And uh, if you are requiring someone to wear a mask or to do something, you have to be able to access or, or, or have them. And my concern is people that don't have a mask, what's the next best thing? What is it that you're going to do if you don't find it in the store? You're going to get online and you're going to look through and, and, and click on something in the internet. And we've discussed this before. The internet is not safe. So are you getting a counterfeit product? Do you really want to wear a counterfeit mask not knowing where it's coming from? Remember, counterfeit is not generic. Counterfeit can kill. So you don't want to have medicines. You don't want to have food. You don't want to have items that you don't know where they're coming from, and especially a mask that you're putting in your face and you're breathing through. So, you know, I can go on and on, and I really don't want to you know, you know, be the downer, Debbie Downer here, but yeah, yeah, basically yeah. a mask, you need to make sure that you know where you're getting it from. Yeah, I mean, just on the mask thing, I saw some. I saw this uh, demonstration, and I don't know. You know, people may call me stupid, but someone actually took a lighter and you know lit the lighter in front of their face, and then tried to blow the lighter out through the mask. And some of these masks that the person was wearing, <laughs> they were blowing the, the 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 lighter out. So if you can yeah. blow the flame out of a, a match or something in front of your face, then I'm pretty sure that the mask that you're wearing probably isn't working properly. Um, I've tested it with the mask that, that I have and, and, you know, it does not, you know, there's no air going through whatsoever. Um, well, and I think the mask they say is so that you don't, if you sneeze, you're not actually, uh, getting anyone else infected. It's not yeah, really your cough, your sneeze, anything, you. right? Anything really. I mean, but, I mean, I've seen reports that even just breathing that it could be, yeah, but you, those. No. the concern is those masks, if, if, if you're buying them off the internet though, you know, are the asbestos, you know, you have no idea if it's counterfeit. So be very, very careful. I, they're telling you not to buy those often. Mine are, we, we made them. Um, yeah. Ma making them is probably a heck, well, it is a heck of a lot safer. And you know, the, the other issue, and I hate to bring this up, you know, we're talking about global threats. We're talking about pandemic. We're talking about cyber this counterfeiting. If you are in the supply chain and one of your suppliers actually is not making widgets and somebody goes and gets those widgets, please make sure that you're not getting them from just anybody to get that product out there, especially if you're making our thermometers, because, you know, we need to make sure that the products that we're buying actually work. And to the extent you're, you're fixing your supply chain by getting them from another supplier, make sure there's no counterfeit involved. So scams are in full flight, right? I mean, they're in, they're oh, in full gear here. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of it's coming over the email. Um, yeah, yep. what do you, what we have, have to be aware of. Well, the, the the scams we always have scams, and you always have to be careful. Be aware of email scams. You know, is particularly now promising Corona financial relief. I mean, 
we've got issues right now with people um, impersonating other people and, 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 and calling up and, and, and giving fake updates or, you know, cold calls from trusted institutions that are really not those institutions, you know, from the CDC or charities that are using access and uh, gaining information from you, which are really not uh, who they are. So you have to be careful. Uh, you have to be careful with malware. You have to be careful with phishing emails that uh, will destroy, you know, your, your computer. And you also have to be careful when you're sending, and I've been guilty of this too, you know, we are we're locked at home, we're isolated. We've been isolated for over a month. And it's really funny to get those jokes and to pass them on. And you know, you've seen all sorts of jokes, jokes about toilet paper, jokes about all sorts of things. And a lot of times those photos, you send them on and sometimes they're videos. Well, you are relaxed, you're, you're at home and you're not really thinking about the fact that you may be actually sending uh, something, a virus to everybody, to all your friends. So heads up, be careful, be wise about this. So one, one last thing I want to ask you before we, before we go, it, it, I want to talk about the, the California Consumer Privacy Act and, and it went to effect on January 1st in 2020, right? Is that, is that it correct? It did. January 1st, exactly. And, and it's supposed to go into force and, and, and start being enforced this summer. Now, yeah. the question is, just about everything has come to a halt right now. You know, if you, uh, parking tickets, I don't think police are giving parking tickets anymore. I know for landlords, they can't evict you if you don't pay you the rent. You're not a parking ticket, but if you go to church and sit in your car outside, you're getting a $500 ticket. You're going to get a parking ticket. Right, yeah. but if you go to court on that, guess what? They're going to, you have another 30 days to go to court. No one is, they're not accepting parking tickets at court right now. Not that I got no. a parking ticket, but I'm just letting you know. And so the argument is, please do not enforce the CCPA right now. Let's wait because right now no one is able to do anything. You can't hire anyone to help you. And so maybe we need to wait till January 2021 for enforcement. So there's pros and cons. We need this right now because obviously our data is being collected and all this information. So we need more privacy protection. So CCPA could, should come out now this summer, but at the same time, is it fair? Is it fair to require gov uh, our businesses to have that when really no one is able to access those individuals and to really put this together? So that's a hot topic. It's a very, so really very quick. Topic. Are they going to enforce it or not? What do you think? Don't know. Depends. I don't know. I, I would, I would tend to say that we're going to wait, but I don't know. I mean, that's just my guess and it's not a, you know, I've, not looked into it enough other than the fact that, you know, things have changed. We have a new normal and considering this pandemic outbreak, it, it, it could be rescheduled yeah, uh, and not enforced be, in you, July. You would think it would be reasonable to push that date back. Adriana, thanks so much for coming on the show again. It's always very entertaining it's, when you come on. It's so full of information. I really appreciate wonderful. Well, thanks, George. I, I really do love coming and, you know, sharing as much as I can. And uh, hopefully we will all get through this, this situation. Yep, I'm sure we, we're, we're, going, we're going to. We're going to. I saw some people uh, talking on the internet getting very frustrated. Their kids are saying, you know, we're, we're, um, we're, we're, we can't see anybody. We can't do anything. But we are going to get uh, through this together. Uh, and everyone, I think, is sticking together. I'm, I see so many positive things. Uh, going on in the community and, and people, you know, cheering each other on and supporting each other. So we're definitely going to do it. Um, and I can't wait to have you back. Maybe we, we've got to get you on some of our panels too, some of our legal panels. But uh, all right, folks, it's time to go. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news 
at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.